of the message that we're taking into the world is that we have an eternal and unwavering hope in Jesus Christ. But what the people of the world want to know is this. They, they want to know, can God be trusted with our hope? With, can God be trusted with our hope? If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Uh, I want to read, I want to start off with verses 13 through 16. It says, for example, there was, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Now, for the record this morning, I, I just want to say that God doesn't encourage swearing, okay? But when people do swear, they usually swear by something that's, that's, that's held in a high regard. It's held in, in a higher place than they are. And we've heard people say things like, I swear on the Bible. Or, I'd swear on a stack of Bibles. I like this one, one of my favorites. I, I swear on my mother's grave. Now, why are we going to pull her into this? She's not done anything. Or this one I, I really like. I'd swear on my firstborn child. Silence, I'm sorry I would never do that to you. Or this one we've probably heard before and may, maybe even used ourselves. I swear to God. And Jesus said a simple yes or no would be sufficient. You see, people swear by some name that is greater than themselves. But you see, when God promises, there's nothing greater to swear by because there's no one or no thing that is greater than He. And that gives us a clue about the character of God this morning. You see, God doesn't need to swear by anything because when God makes a promise, He keeps it. And when God makes a promise, people don't say, God, do you swear on the Bible? God wrote the Bible. God, would you swear on your mother's grave? Well, God was never born. God, do you pinky swear? Now, come on, we don't pull things like this on God because He is God. But the author here this morning, he, he's trying to talk to these Jewish Christians about hopes and promises, and he brings up their favorite example, Abraham. God promised Abraham that he'd bless him. He, he, he promised him that he would give him descendants as numerous as the stars that are in the sky and that the whole world would be blessed through Abraham. Now, Abraham probably didn't fully understand what this meant at the, t at the time, but we have the benefit of being able to look back and seeing things so clearly now. That Abraham's family was to be the family in which the Messiah came. They were the family that, that Jesus Christ was to come from. And when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham believed God. He didn't ask him to swear. He just waited. Verse 15 says, Then Abraham waited patiently, 
and he received what God had promised. Now, if you'll remember, Abraham, he waited quite a long time, didn't he? In fact, God never gave a timeline for Abraham having many descendants. He never spelled out exactly what that would look like. He, he just promised, and Abraham believed. Our passage says, specifically, it says he received what he'd been promised. It happened just as God said it would happen. And Now, now Abraham, he didn't have his son Isaac until he was 100 years old. And, and now I'm sure Abraham had his moments of doubts. You know, there's that whole Ishmael thing. But overall, Abraham waited. And when he, when he waited, he discovered something that many of us have discovered, is that we can put our hope in God. Because God keeps his promises. Seven years ago, Lanny went into the hospital with the flu, and, and uh, Christine was there by her bedside as she was dealing with this illness, and, and uh, was, she was there for 21 days in the hospital, and, and Christine had began to get tired and, and needed a break. So one of our friends, uh, Tony Smith from church we used to go to in St. Joe, Central Christian, offered to stay with Lanny for the night so Christine could come home and get some rest. So Christine came home. I was working night shift at the time, so I was at work, and, and uh, I got a text from Tony saying, Johnny, I've tried to call Christine many times. I can't get a hold of her. Something's wrong with Lanny. So I had left work. I'd gone home. I, I woke Christine. I said, we've got to go to the hospital right now. Something's wrong with Lanny. We got to the hospital, and Lanny had gone into respiratory failure and had been placed on life support on a ventilator. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing harder than to sit by your child's bedside as, as they're on a machine that's keeping them alive. And we sat there for those 21 days by her side and wondering what's going to happen next. Is she going to get better? As Lainey's laying there lifeless with a machine breathing for her. And the doctor came in the room. I'll never forget. She sat Christine and I down and, and she said, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. Lainey is not going to pull through this. It doesn't look good. You need to call your family. You need to call everybody in because we're going to prepare for a funeral. So that's what we did. We began to call our family and, and we had family flying in from New York, Kentucky and, and all over the place. And if you know anything about our families, they're families of prayer, prayers. So we got together and we began to pray like we've never prayed before. And, and we prayed for healing for Lainey. And, and uh, I kid you not, that night, that very night, Lainey began to improve. The doctors were shocked. They, they didn't understand how this child who was lifeless, who, who was dying on the table, could begin to turn the corner. And for the next 12 days on the ventilator, Lainey began to improve more and more and more until she was able to come off the ventilator. And I have to be honest with you, I began to lose hope in the hospital. My, my hope was challenged. My faith in God was challenged. But one of the things that I learned is that when God makes a promise, he doesn't fail us on the minor details. God tells us, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He says, I am always there with you if you turn to me in times of trouble. 
Abraham. He didn't have his first legitimate heir until he was 100 years old, and, and many of his descendants didn't come until after he had already died. But God did what he promised to do. Verse 16 says, Now when God takes an oath, they call on some someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. You know, many people make promises. There are times when people promise things and they don't keep their promises. They don't hold up to their word. And sometimes they can't possibly keep those promises. When you don't promise, when we don't keep promises, people don't trust us. They don't believe you. So it's important to be where you say you're going to be, to do what you say you're going to do. And if you can't say, what, if you can't do what you'll say you'll do, then don't do it. There's an old saying, it's a man is only as good as his word. You know who swears? It's people whose word is no good. It's people who have ruined their reputation, who haven't kept their word. They, they can't be trusted. And those are the people that, 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 that feel the need to swear by someone or something that's greater than they are. But you see, God doesn't swear because God's word is good. And God always does what God says he's going to do. So when God makes a promise, friends, you can take that to the bank. Now, in case you're wondering this morning what this passage about Abraham possibly has to do with you, then let me tell you. Just as God made Abraham some promises, God has made us some promises as well. And these are promises that we can hope in. Verses 17 and 18 says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received his promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promises and his oath that two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Friends, God keeps his promises to us. And God's promised us a lot, hasn't he? Many of you here this morning have taken on that challenge to read the Bible in a year or or who have committed to just being in the Word every day. And you've discovered a lot of promises that God's made for you in your life. There's there's so many promises in the Bible, too many to go over today, but I, I wanted to give you just a few samples of the promises in God's Word that He gives to us. In Matthew 28, 20, it says He'll be with us to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. John 16, 3, God's Spirit will guide us into truth. Romans 3.24, we are declared not guilty because of God's grace. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.28, all things work together for our good. 1 Corinthians 10.13, God won't let us be tempted or tried beyond what he knows we can endure. 
Philippians 4.19, God will supply all of our needs from His riches. James 4.8, if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. In 1 John 5.11, God has promised us eternal life. There's hundreds of promises in God's Word. And friends, I, I can tell you this morning that God will keep every single one of them. That means that we can put our hope in God. And these things that, that uh, He's promised, they'll come to pass, and, and they may not happen when we want them to. They may not happen when we expect them or how we want them to. But if God said it, then God will do it. Verse 18 says, Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Our hope in God is a refuge. We are so tempted to put our hope in all of these things that I've already mentioned. All of these, these worldly things. And in crisis situations, it's so easy to put our hope in the things of this world. It's so easy to put our hope in money and, and in people and, and in government and, and even in our own abilities. And oftentimes our first instinct is to put our hope in these things and our last instinct is to put our hope in God. You know, sometimes I think as Christians we, we treat God as, as if He's our last resort. But all of those earthly things that I've talked about, even people, they oftentimes will let us down. They will often leave us feeling hopeless. But as people of faith, there's one person that we should always put our hope in, and that's in God. God is hes our refuge. A refuge is a safe place or, or a safe person that you can turn to in times of trouble, God, He's our refuge. When uh, when I was younger, I lived out in the country and had three sisters, and there wasn't a whole lot of fun things that we could do out in the country. We didn't have the benefit of living in town close to our friends where we could go hang out, go to the pool, go play basketball. So my sisters and I, we had to be creative to entertain ourselves. And in one of our favorite games that we would play, we lived on about five acres of land, so we'd go out and we'd play tag for hours. Now, as we would play tag, we had to create this, this place, this boundary, this box that was a safe place. It was base. Now, I think the reason why we had to do this was because my sisters knew of my lightning speed and knew that, that I would tag them and chase them down every time. So we would run around the yard for hours and hours and hours and tagging each other. You're it. No, you're it. You're it. No, I'm in base. But whenever we got tired, whenever we needed a break, whenever you tag somebody else, you could step into that imaginary box you could step into that base where you were safe from the person that was it 
And nobody could tag you inside this base, this safe place. You see, that's what our hope is in God. It's a safe place. It's a refuge. So the next time you face a challenge or a tough circumstance, the next time you're you're in trouble and, and you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, could I suggest that your first response would be to turn to God? Before you call your best friend, before you turn to your savings accounts, before you call Pastor Tim for help, before you do any of those things, could I suggest that you first try turning to God? Now, don't get me wrong. He may use all of those other things in our lives to help us. And in fact, we could rightly say that he's given us all of these other things to use as resources, but he is our hope. In the Old Testament, people hope for lands. They hope for prosperity and safety from their, enemy, from their enemies and for God to be their God. That was the frame of reference that the Hebrew people had. And, but our writer, our writer this morning is reminding us that his, his New Testament, what readers are to hope for. We hope for forgiveness of sins like they did back in the Old Testament. We hope for guidance and protection of God like they did. But we also hope for ultimate justice, ultimate victory, and ultimate salvation. We have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says that we have great confidence in what we hope for. We can trust God with our hope because God delivers. And finally, that brings us to the last two verses. Verses 19 and 20. It says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So our hope is in God as an anchor. If we really trust God for what He's promised, it will affect us. It will change how we deal with things. I'd say probably four, three or four years ago um, in the youth ministry, youth some of my greatest times in life were in the youth ministry. And um, some of the funnest Youth ministry times were, were the summers when we go on our summer trips. Right, Case? Are you sleeping back there? <laughs> so we, we, we'd go places like Eminence, Missouri, and and uh, one of the greatest trips, and, and we'd go there, and they'd have things lined out through the week. Every day we'd have a different activity. And we'd close the week with a canoe trip down the Current River. If you've ever been down to Eminence, Missouri on the Current River. It's, it's just a great river to canoe on. And so we would take a half-day canoe trip, usually turned into about a whole day for us. But before the trip, before we went, um, I remember the instructor set us all down and gave us all the instructions for the trip. He gave us the oars. He gave us the life jackets. He gave us the uh, flotation devices. And he gave us, most importantly, the instructions for the canoe trip. 
And I remember this one case, I'm sure you remember it too, is as he explained that the river, when we got to a certain point, had a split. And he said, stay to the right. He said, go to as far right as you can go on the river, because if you go left, the current will push you into a group of trees that a bunch of brush is piled up there. I don't know if um, if I just wanted to do my own thing or if I had forgotten the instructions. Landon and I were in the first canoe. We led, and, and uh, Christine was in, in the back. She brought up the group. We kept them in between us. And, and as we're going down the river, that split comes. Landon and I veer off to the left. Now, as, as we're trying to go left, I'm saying, Landon, you got to paddle, buddy. you got to paddle because the current's starting to push us into the tree. As the current pushed the canoe into the tree, if you've ever been canoeing before, you know how that works. The canoe was sideways, and the current began to push our canoe like that. Water began to rush into the canoe, and eventually our canoe tipped, and we fell out of the canoe along with our cooler, along with our paddles, everything. Landon and I got washed underneath the canoe, and we got stuck between the tree and the canoe, and, and luckily Case and Matthew were right behind us because they jumped out of their canoe, and their canoe goes on down the river and all of their paddles, but they came and they rescued us from the disaster that we were in. You see, we didn't have an anchor. We didn't have something that we could throw out to, to grab a hold of the ground to stop us in that time of desperation. We were stuck. I know a lot of you here this morning like to go fishing. I know, Jason, you're, you're quite the fisherman. You like to go out on that mighty mow. And, and um, if you've ever, ever been out on the Missouri River, you know how that current is. And you, you have to have that anchor to throw overboard to, to grab a hold of something down at the bottom to hold your boat so that you can cast a line because otherwise the current's going to push you down the river. And sometimes that anchor, it doesn't hold us. It doesn't grab, and we begin to drift down the river. But the anchor of our soul, it will always hold. When the winds blow and the tide might rise up against us and the waves might crash against us, the current might push us, but our anchor holds and our hope remains. Friends, people people can betray us. Satan can attack us, and, and we can fail, and, and others can, can fail us, and, and everything in our, in our lives can turn against us, and, and we just feel like everything is going the wrong direction. But our anchor holds. When everything in Job's life had gone against Job, Job said something amazing. In Job 13, 15, he said, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Whatever he allows to come our way, however put out you might be over your circumstances that you're dealing with, you have no better option. God is the one we hope in till the end. And if we just cling to our hope till the end, we will see God's promises will come to pass and 
will see that our hopes are, are not in vain. Our hope, our hope in God comes only through Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, Lord, we love you. Father, so thankful for for you. Father, so thankful for Jesus. Father, um, just thank you for the hope that we have. The hope that we can take into this world and, and tell people about. Because, Father, you are there and you, you love us. Father, you care for us and, and you protect us. So, Father, I know there's times in our lives where we feel beat down. We feel like the world's turned against us and we feel like we have nowhere to turn to. But, Father, you are our hope. You love us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.